Hello, you're listening to Yarns from the Plain, a podcast for knitters, crocheters, and anyone who loves to play with yarn. Hello, and welcome to episode 56, Legacy. Welcome if you're a new listener, and if you're a returning listener, welcome back. Well, it's Friday the 17th of August, and it's five days since the Olympics are finished, and I'm a little bit in mourning. I've got on with some crafting. I've read two novels since then. Wrapping up all sorts of loose ends regarding Woolsack, more of which later. But, boy, it's been a bit of a come down. I've been watching the Olympics coverage on the BBC, or attending the Olympics, so much, to the exclusion of anything else, really, that... It came as a bit of a shock when I watched a programme on Channel 4 on Monday night and, and there was an advert in it. I actually genuinely had, for a split second, forgotten that such a thing existed. <laughs> it was very, very odd. Most disconcerting. But there we are. So, did you enjoy the Olympics? Did it pass you by? Did you find something else to do? More importantly, what about that L word? Legacy. I don't know about you... But for a magical 16 days, here, the country seemed truly united, uplifted by the Herculean efforts of those men and women who trained with one goal in mind, to compete, to win at the Olympics. For years, their days have consisted of exactly the same routine. Train, eat, rest. Train, eat, train, eat, sleep. No deviations, no hesitations, but many, many repetitions. No room for spontaneity here. Not when you have to notify the drug testers where you will be definitively for an hour a day, every day, weeks or months in advance. No spontaneity when you have to make sure that nothing you take is on the banned substance list. Nothing you eat. It's going to set off a bad reaction. The lucky ones receive funding that can pay the rent, put food on the table and cover the petrol costs. Others, particularly those in minority sports, fit their training around part-time jobs to make ends meet, living in bedsits far from home due to the location of the team's training facilities. It's hard to be the best in your field when you can focus on it full-time. How much harder can it be when you know you're stacking the shelves in the supermarket that evening? And what do they do it for? Gold? Glory? For a few, perhaps. For others, it is the pride that comes from knowing you've represented your country. And even if you've lost every match that you have played, no one can take that away from you. That and the phenomenal support given by every spectator in every venue. I rejoiced in the support given to the losing teams in the volleyball matches I watched. Genuine applause. Genuine cheers. I clapped and cheered along with the others as the Iranian rower came past several seconds behind the rest of the field. 
She'd earned her right to be there, and we saluted that. So what of the legacy? For the first time ever, all countries attending had women on their teams. Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Qatar, their first women came to the Olympics. For them, I hope the legacy is the chance to continue training in safety. But I suspect for some in countries such as Afghanistan, it will continue to be hard. For us here in the UK, I hope it's a realisation of something to truly celebrate, which is, after all, the root of the word celebrity. I hope it is an overwhelming sense that here are our heroes, here are the men and women our children should aspire to be. Let the legacy show that success comes from hard work and dedication, not from starring in a reality show. Of course, when I sat and wrote that, that was before I'd read yesterday's paper and realised that one of the Olympic competitors has actually turned up in the Celebrity Big Brother house. I sigh. Sigh with me, listeners. Sigh with me. But genuinely, I do feel, and I hope, that that sense of sportsmanship I felt and support, regardless of who was racing or playing, and the sense that hard work and dedication will get you something that perhaps is more long-term and meaningful than that fleeting grasp of celebrity. That's what I really hope is the legacy from these games. On personal note, I also have a legacy from the games in the form of my Millicent, my lovely waterfall front cardigan crocheted in Natural Dye Studio Dazzle HT High Twist in two different blues, but very, very similar, very similar blues, um, Alice and Albatross. I didn't finish it in time to meddle for the Ravalanic games, I'm afraid. The flame was extinguished on Sunday night and I still had one and a half motifs to attach and the half treble border around the front edge of the, of the cardigan. So I'm afraid to say that didn't get finished until Monday. So I didn't meddle in the Ravalanic games. But I do have a beautiful cardigan. And it's blocked and I wore it out last night and it got a number of admiring glances, so I'm very pleased with it. Really, really nice. The wool sack cushion also did not get completed, I'm afraid. I found that it's actually incredibly hard to either concentrate on something where you have to slip some stitches to keep the pattern, or indeed concentrate on uh, crocheting motifs where you do actually need to see where you're sticking the crochet hook when you're actually completely and utterly absorbed in dressage, or synchronised swimming, or rhythmic gymnastics. All sports that don't necessarily strike people as being sports at the first time because they've got such an artistic element, but by golly, the skill you need. The skill you need for those. Just magnificent. I was absolutely entranced. Even my husband was entranced with the team rhythmic gymnastics. Um, how so few of them lost bits of equipment as they uh, transferred them from one girl to another. Quite impressive. He wouldn't join in with watching some of the synchronised swimming with me, though most grouchy where that came to pass but you know that's it now it's over and much as I'm looking forward to the Paralympics 
that actually starts the Wednesday before I go back to school on the Monday. So I can't see that I'm going to see a great deal. Desperately was trying to get tickets to go to something in the Olympic Park for the first three days. But I missed a whole load of tickets went on sale yesterday and I missed them. So, <sighs> never mind. I did not get to the Olympic Park. I did, however, have an aunt who got there. So no doubt I will hear all about it when I next meet her. Because she's been telling everybody who stands still long enough that it was fantastic. So I shall go and get my turn at hearing that soon. Another legacy is that I do actually sit there and think I really would quite like to get back to archery. I haven't done it in over 20 years. Apart from odd bits on school trips. So I was never fantastically good at it. Because I'm just not consistent enough. I think my bow is too heavy. But I'd quite like to get back. That would be quite nice. And of course, when I've just finished up the very last of the wall sack cushions, <laughs> because believe me, there's still some kicking around, then that will be, you know, time to start thinking about new things, which I suppose will fit quite nicely with the new school year, won't it? I um, have some quite sad news to impart, which some people who live in and around Cheshire will already be aware of, but my lovely local yarn store, that's actually not the nearest one to me, but the one that first really got me into the social side of knitting when I, I went along and joined their knitting group, is closing on the 8th of September. And it's it's just been really, really sad. I haven't been able to get there much this year because work's been quite manic. Um, but I went along this week a couple of times to one of the daytime groups and to um, the Thursday night knit group. And, you know, it's it's just it's quite sad. It's heartbreaking in its own way that someone's dream has not survived. It's just really, it's tough. I know that nobody's died or anything, but it's, you know, it's still hard, isn't it? Mourning the end of a dream. So, um, so that was, that was quite difficult. But w what I have done is I had, uh, I fell for some Lemper Linen, for some Lemper Linen, Lemper Linen, there you go, finally said it. Um, which I hadn't realised Rowan was discontinuing. Um, so I've got some of that. I got the Lenpa Linen Collection book from 2009 as well. Um, there are some very nice cardigans in there. Someone who knit one up, not from that book I don't think, but using Lenpa Linen said it is, it, it's lovely and it drapes really, really nicely. Um, but you're not, probably not going to want to go in through anything too tailored because it will go quite drapey. So I'm actually thinking that another one of Queenie Amanda from Natural Dye Studios waterfall cardigans might be a delight to knit with it so or to crochet with it I should say so I bought some um, packs of that because they're they're currently um, undergoing a 50% sale as they're trying to clear all the, the rest of the stock um, if you are interested in, in the area at all it's on Minshall Street in Nutsford um, and the shop is closing on the 8th of September so if you haven't had a chance to go to Fibre and Clay before then it is your last chance really um, it will be really really sad to see it go it's it, it had such a sense of community you know it's it's just hard to see it go hard to see anything go really but it's not the first yarn store that's closed in these tough economic times and I don't suppose it will be the last sadly but it was mine, if you know what I mean. But there you are.
This week, I have a recommendation for you. Do you remember I mentioned a pin in my listener map in South Africa? Well, that pin was from Joe, who originally comes from the northwest of England near Wigan. I love the Wigan accent. I particularly love the way they say pound. I can't say it. I can't say it that way, but it's superb. Anyway, she started a podcast. Here's her trailer. This is the Shiny Bees Podcast, a podcast about knitting, sewing and crafting on the Dark Continent. Join me on my creative and cultural journey in South Africa and hear about the language and culture of the Rainbow Nation from myself and South African special guests, along with the generous helping of knitting, sewing and local producers. The podcast can be found on iTunes and other podcatchers with show notes at shinybees.wordpress.com. So that's the Shiny Bees Podcast. Well worth a listen. Although I have to say, I'm really glad I don't have a boom slang in my garage. Earlier this year, a listener, Summertime Dream, left a comment over on the Ravelry board about being interested in hearing more about the weaving. So I thought that as I was warping up, it would be an interesting thing to do. So I've recorded some audio and... Here's the first section. When I first mentioned getting a loom and weaving on the podcast, I was contacted by a listener who's, I'm really terrible, my, my, her name escapes me at the moment, but she said she'd be interested in finding out more. And I'm conscious that although I've mentioned a couple of weaving projects since, I've not really talked about the process. So I'm here on a rainy Wednesday afternoon, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to warp up uh, my 32-inch loom, rigid head loom, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the process of what I'm doing and what I'm aiming for. I'm aiming for a piece of fabric that I can use for a last minute wool sack cushion. I am quite well aware that I am pushing this mega time. Um, obviously the finished cushion needs to be um, 16 inches by 16 inches. So that means that the finished piece of fabric needs to be 16 inches by 32 because I want to be able to fold it over. But you get a better fabric if you um, wash it and I fill it very slightly in the tumble dryer, um, it closes up the weave structure. So you need to take account of shrinkage. Now I took careful measurements of the last two pieces that I did and washed. And I'm fairly confident that to end up with a piece of fabric 32 inches long, I'm going to need around about... And this is a very rough estimate, around about somewhere between 45 and 50 inches of fabric. There was quite a lot of shrinkage. There was about 20% shrinkage in length in the last piece that I did. But I'm not using the same wool, so it won't behave in quite the same way. But I'm working on the, the finished piece I need needs to be about 80% of the piece that I weave. Um, so obviously for... Um, eights are 32 so five eights would be 40 but I like a bit extra because you never know quite how everything's going to behave um, so I think I need to weave a piece between 45 and 50 inches long now 
what that means I need to do. I also need to take into account the fact that there is wastage when you weave. You have le warp at the front of the loom and at the back of the loom that you don't weave. So I have to calculate in um, and sort of an element for that wastage as well. Now it's hard. I haven't really properly worked out how much that needs to be. At the back of the beam, when I've got the heddle in the front um, of my two rests, the space I'm looking at for wastage is behind the loom to the back of it is around about four and a half, five inches. But obviously you've got a little bit in front of that as well um, that you don't weave. So, you know, say I'm looking at 45 inches for the finished piece of cloth, um, another five inches at the back, so that's 50. You need probably a good, well, I don't know, I'm not an expert, but I find that you know, something approaching um, a good nine or ten inches seems to be enough for the front, trying on the front. And I have to say, I think I'm better, you know, adding extra on rather than not. So I'm going to walk, I'm going for a warp length of around about um, somewhere between 16 and 70 inches, which sounds heaps. Um, I can do longer actually, I've got a couple of coffee tables that are the same height, so I quite often set those up. I liked warping on my dining table, extending my dining table, but I had to keep walking the length of it. When I set it up on two coffee tables, I can actually kneel on the floor between the two um, to, to start warping, so I think that's better. So I'm going to set up the peg, the warping peg, um, on the second table around about say about 65 inches from and I'm going to take it from the heddle in the the rest so I'll just have to put my phone down for a minute I need both hands okay so I've got my my second table set up now I've got my warp tied onto the back beam well, back up onto the, the oh, I don't know the proper name of it, but there's a, a wooden bit. Gosh, that's how terribly. I think it's the, um, the, the, the stick tied onto the back beam. So I'm going to warp through there. I don't get as much shrinkage width-wise as I do um, length-wise. So something that was around about 10 inches, because obviously when it's under tension, it's you know, it shrinks slightly anyway when you take it off the, the beam. Something that came up, came off the loom 10 inches shrunk to 8 inches um, when I washed it. So 20 inches would probably be enough, but obviously I'm being a little bit cautious because some of these yarns I haven't used before, so I'm going to add a bit more on again. Um, so I'm going to end up... Um, my Heddle I've marked, it's actually marked up in centimetres, so I sort of have to work between, um, you know, centimetres and, and inches, but then I am that kind of girl. So um, I reckon somewhere between uh, 52, 54 centimetres wide will take me somewhere between 20 and 20 and a half, 21 and a half centimetres. So I'm going to err on the side of caution again. Always better to have more. 
than less because you want a seam allowance when you're seaming anyway. Um, so I'm going to set the first warp thread through um, around about around about 28 centimetres, which is around about 11 inches from the centre of my heddle, so that I end up with the the cloth actually in the centre of the heddle. That apparently makes it as um, least likely as possible to mean that your tension will end up slightly skewy because you um, weren't pulling on it centrally. Sorry, there's a lot of huffing and puffing going here. I do apologise for the sound effect. Right, so I've got the first few warp threads now pulled through the slots in the heddle. The heddle is the piece in my loom that contains the plastic reed. The reed is a combination of holes and slots and when I'm warping the loom up I pull the warp through the slots. One slot at a time, pull it, put it over the weaving peg and then go back to the back of the loom and pull the next thread up around the back beam and through the next slot in the heddle. So I'm just going to pause the recording for a minute and see if I can take a photograph for you. And might even try and get a little bit of video if possible. Depends how well I can do it. Okay. Sorry, my attempts at videoing any of the, my, me actually warping the loom up are a disaster. I think obviously the fact that I'm not an octopus is causing a bit of a problem in that department. So um, I've given up on that. And I'm just going to record a little bit of audio. The sound you can hear is the warp being pulled through. It's a nice I think it's a I think it's a blend from um Texas. It's called Jacob, but I think that that just is a reference to the colour rather than the composition because I think on the website it says something about it being a blend of a variety of British breeds but it is British which is what of course I'm interested in for Woolsack so I've warped uh, just under 10 centimetres now it really doesn't take too much time especially if I can uh, get down on my knees, like I am now, and actually sit between the two tables because that means I'm not going back and forth too much. Now the last time I tried weaving with yarn a bit like this, it was it was admittedly thinner yarn, but I chose, um, I think, 10 DPI, um, dense per inch, which is, um, 
I'm guessing these are, you know, d dense. I'm thinking like, uh, you know, French for teeth, um, which I suppose, you know, these do look, these could be teeth, don't they? I don't know if that really is the origin of the phrase. Uh, but it's all to do with how many ends, warp ends you've got per inch. Um, now, you know, they were a little bit too close together on the last one and it made it very difficult to weave because the yarns were quite sticky. I'm hoping that this, I've chosen five um, cents per inch for this. Um, the yarn itself is around about ten wraps per inch um, on my um, wraps per inch gauge and it's around about needs to be, you know, half of that roughly for um, the correct DPI, um, the correct header to use. I'm trying as I um, go to keep all of the ends under the same tension, but I've already noticed that actually the, um, the ones at the beginning are a little bit looser, so I'm actually going to just... Um, I've just broken off where I tied it around that back beam because I actually got it a little bit um, loose and I'm just pulling it a bit tighter to make it snugger so hopefully I won't have any tensioning problems um, on that side it's I've still not quite got um, the knack of getting a a perfect tension as I as I go um, but I'm getting there I hope so I'm nearing the end of pulling the warp threads through the slots on the heddle and looping them over the warping peg oh rats it's so, alright I've just discovered there's a a knot a couple of um, oh rats right so right, I've just discovered there's a knot a couple of ends back and I don't really want it in the middle of the weaving because you will be able to feel it. So let me just carefully wind this back on the cone. Don't quite know how I didn't feel that. It's been a bit awkward to tug through the there we are. Just tug through the um through the head so I will tie that one off and then sorry I've got the the warping tool through in the middle of my teeth which is not really very helpful is it so let's tie that one off there And then start again 
with the last few centimetres here. I haven't got much longer left. Now I can see that the, the downside of using two coffee tables when you're warping up like this is that it is easy to inadvertently nudge one of them during the process and I can see that must have happened because on this side of the warp that I'm working on everything's under tension but I can see that the side I started on is actually a bit saggy so I shall have to be careful when I wind on to try and make sure that those individual bits are under tension but it's not too major a, a disaster I can do that it, it's entirely possible to walk this loom up alone because the very first time I walked it up I, that's exactly what I did it is easier if there's a second pair of hands but if the second pair of hands is someone who doesn't really understand the need for tension and inserting paper between the warps each time you wind the back beam on which you need to do um, so that the warps stay an even distance away from each other if you think that as you roll a set of threads um, as one set comes to sit on top of the other they will often work their way between the first two threads. If you imagine putting your hand with your fingers splayed out, one hand face down with your fingers splayed out, and then put your other hand with your fingers splayed out on top, you can arrange them so that your fingers sit between the fingers of your bottom hand, or you can put them so that the fingers sit on top. What happens when you wind on weaving is that some of the threads will sit on top of the threads underneath them and some will sit in between and what happens then if you wind on your warp like that you do get tensioning issues um, but like I say if you're actually if you want an extra pair of hands but it isn't someone who really understands about how weaving works it's sometimes easier just to do it by yourself doesn't that sound ungrateful but you know sometimes trying to explain what to do and then having to show them and leave what you're doing at your end of the loom and then go to, oh, just, it's just too much hassle. Right, so I'm now at the point where I have put all of the threads through. They are not all the correct tension and I'll show you that um, by taking a photo. So what I need to do now is slip the threads, the warps threads, off the peg at the end and then I'm going to try and see, I've tied them together but what I'm going to try and see if I can do is just pull out some of these tensioned issues to start with before I even start to wind onto the, the beam. So I'm going to do that by actually going to the, the saggy side, if you like, and just pulling them all gently. The idea is, if at all possible, I think I should probably, I need to cut these um, warp threads now, where I've taken them off the peg. I've got them hooked over my hands for a minute because, of course, I'm never clever enough to remember to bring the scissors to within reach. Oh, there you go. Dropped the scissors now. So, 
and now cut through the warp threads where they were wrapped by, by the around the warping peg. I've got them in my hand. I'm going to now, before I do anything else, and I've probably twisted them horribly so they're all slightly out of order, but I'm going to try and sit directly in front of the middle of the loom and see if I can pull them so that they're all an even tension. Um, if, as I suspect, the little table with the warping peg on has moved, I'll find that the warps on one side are longer than the other and that's why there have been some baggy bits and that is indeed the case as I comb it through. I can see that the, I have actually um, warped it up slightly lopsided so all of the threads on the right hand side as I look at the loom are longer than the ones on the left hand side but you know I have done my best to sort that out now and then each time let's just tie these up again so they don't go running about too much and then each time I wrap uh, or I wind the warp on on the back beam I will try and straighten out any tensioning issues as I go. Ah, also doesn't help that in the process of warping I managed to wiggle the loom around on the other coffee table. Would have been better I think if I'd gone upstairs to go and get um, the warping kit for this loom instead of just nicking the one out of the um, 12 inch Ashford Knitters loom. They're exactly the same but if I'd gone upstairs to go and get that one as well I could have actually secured the back of the loom on the little coffee table with two little clips to um, attach it to the back of the table so it didn't wiggle. Whereas what it's done, it's obviously it's only attached by one, so it's pivoted slightly. Now, as you can hear, I'm wafting around large pieces of paper. And this is uh, wallpaper lining paper. And if you've ever been in a 1930s British house with delightful crumbly plaster, will appreciate that it's actually quite a nightmare um, to prepare the walls in those properties and that it sometimes does actually help um, to use, to put up lining paper. Okay, so that's, you know, just plain um, wallpaper, no pattern on it that you actually use to um, just paint the walls before you paint. So I can see here as I'm winding that again I'm going to get some tensioning issues so I'm just gently as I crank the the back beam round I'm just gently pulling out any saggy threads to try and eliminate um, any tensioning problems. And I've just reached the point on the back beam where threads are going to start lying over one another unless I insert my rollers lining paper. So that's what I'm going to do. Just squeeze that in. My lovely friend B um, recommended these. I was using all sorts of rough bits of sugar paper and or I was using kitchen roll and she said no newspaper uh, wallpaper lining paper is the best because it it's just got a nice thickness to it and it is wide enough when you've got a wide loom like this because of course this is a 
quite a wide loom. So I'm now sat at the front of the loom again, um, trying to tension these threads. This is the bit that, you know, an extra pair of hands would be useful. But I'm not an octopus, and hubby is at work, and the cat's useless. So I'm just going to soldier on. Luckily, because B cut the paper when she borrowed my loom, she cut the paper to exactly the right size. It's proving wonderful to just wind on and I'm keeping everything under tension and it's been a dream. Excellent. The only thing is I've not quite put it on straight. Um, that means that it's not quite making a straight edge where it's ending, but it's very slightly catching on that side. But that's not a problem. What it's doing is it's allowing me to get a much better tension on here than I've ever had before. So, thank you, B. It's making life much, much easier. Now, um, if I show you now, I actually don't need to wind an awful lot more on um, because I've got now only about mm, six to eight inches in front of the, the front of the beam now, of the front of the loom. And by the time I've sort of taken it and tied it all on, oh look, there's another knot in the warp thread. That's not so bad there, that's likely to get, that's not likely to get woven on. Um, I actually don't need a great deal more um, paper to wind on the other side. I will, I will put another one on though because it just, there is just enough and I haven't woven much but I know it doesn't take much to lose the tension of the warp threads and really once you've got a saggy warp, I know that sounds terrible doesn't it, but there really is nothing worse than a saggy warp. So let's give all these a gentle tug, all in that direction again, insert this, whoops, see, definitely need more this, insert this piece of paper so that it tries not to overlap, because again, if you start overlapping the bits of paper, in some areas you're going to end up with, um, The, the warp threads having to just do a very slightly longer journey around the beam and the paper than in other places and again that gives you tensioning issues so pulling again straightening it up weaving it through uh, and trying to get that tension right so a couple more winds on the back beam Put the lock on and I think I'm pretty much there ready now to start tying onto the front beam. But before I do that, I need to actually take every pair of threads and take one out of each pair out of the slot and pull it through the eye in between them because all of the warp threads at the moment are through the slots 
and I need one through a slot, one through an eye, one through a slot, one through an eye. So I'll just take a break here for photos. So to get each thread through, um, or every other thread through, one of the slots, I pick up the pair of... I'm starting at the left-hand side of the heddle, looking at it. I pick up the pair of threads in the slot, and I work out which one is to the left. And then, theoretically, I stick my little warping hook, or threading hook, through the hole, pick up the left-hand thread, and pull it back. Now, because it's not a, a nice, beautiful, smooth yarn, that's not working wonderfully easily. Um, that means that I'm a little bit worried that, again, I may have a similar problem to this as to the time when I um, threaded with some four-ply herdwick, that we may have a slightly sticky shed. But someone suggested to me hair detangler, and I thought that might be well worth it, because obviously I wash the piece of weaving anyway when it's finished. So anything that I put on it in the way of detangler um, will get washed off. So... I may well, if that proves to be the case with this, um, follow that advice. I am finding it, and I don't know whether it's because I'm sat on the floor, not at a table on this, that it's not proving terribly easy to pull these threads through. Um, I'm, I'm actually finding it not very easy to catch them with the hook, um, but that just may be um, because I'm being a bit of a drongo today. Because um, obviously I don't normally try and talk somebody through the process who's not actually with me you know I have walked um, I've walked up a loom at Guild and talked people through it not that I am an expert please God don't think I'm an expert um, but you know it's a bit different when I'm trying to talk to you and pretend that you are here with me when you're not, so I'm having to describe everything, or try and describe everything, I'm not convinced I've done it very well. But anyway, as I'm trundling along, I've managed nearly, nearly eight centimetres along. <laughs> Only another 46 to go. So... I'm now nearing the end of the threads. I've got the last five pairs to sort out. And actually, once I'd got into a rhythm and decided that it was easier if I actually had one of my hands behind the heddle, or it might be some to point the other hand behind the heddle, because obviously one hand's holding the threading hook. Um, so once I decided that it was easier with my left hand behind that, just to guide that thread, I've now sort of motored along. So... So the, the last step really, as I just finish off these, is, two more threads to go, I've got to then tie the threads onto the front beam. Now, that's my opportunity then to just pull and tighten any threads that look like they might be a little bit loose. And there we go, last thread through. So... What I'm going to do now is pull all the threads so that they are over the front of the loom and get myself up into a, knee, oh, into a kneeling position. And I'm going to start 
at the centre of the loom and work outwards. So I'm going to just comb all these threads over so that they're broadly lined up with where they're coming through because as I've worked I've removed them to the side and it's easy for me to get tangled up. So I just comb all those threads over, all those warp threads over. And I make sure that the, the breaks on the back beam. And I'm going to take um, a handful, you know, maybe about eight or ten threads, that's all, um, around the centre point of my heddle. Pull them nice and tight. And then what I do is I hold them with um, my thumb underneath the beam, the, the, the warp stick, and my finger on the top. Um, so I break the threads into two, wrap them around underneath the that um, front warp stick and separate them in two so that they come either side of that thread. I tie them nice and snug in a knot and then I go as if to make a bow but I pull one loop through so that it's held in sort of like a, a child's attempted at a shoelace. And then I've turned to take the eight threads on the right and do the same, and then the eight threads, next eight threads on the left and do the same. Each time I'm pulling it gently to make sure it's under tension. Experience has taught me that, although it's tempting to take a great big handful of these, because then obviously you're only doing a few, you know, handfuls and tying them up, experience has taught me that actually it's better um, to do smaller groups. Um, it's easier to adjust the tension then. Um, because once I've tied them all on I will, I will then need to go back to each of them um, and tie and make them all the same tension because it's really hard, for me at least, to get them all the same tension to begin with. I don't know if that is just me but that's what I find. So I've now tied all of the threads onto the front, but I need to go along and check them. Um, have a, a listen. That's that first one that I, I tied in the centre, and that's quite loose. If you listen, can you hear the difference? That one is loose, and there is slack in it when I pull, whereas this one at the end is nice and tight and there's no noise of the, the warp pulling against the paper. So I need to go along all of them now. I've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 bundles and I just need to go along and just tighten them up so that they're nice and snug. So this one's a bit loose. So I pull on the, the knot and tighten it up. This one's a bit saggy. So again, I do the same here. Loosen off that bow. And in this case, I'm actually going to undo that initial knot as well. 
later. Now here are, the, here are the ones that I did at the beginning when I was first tying up and they're really quite slack. And this first one's particularly baggy. So I unslip the knot and then take the two ends and pull them actually towards the back of the, the loom and that tightens everything up. And I can redo the bow part. Again, this one's very saggy. So I do the same, tighten that one up. This one's saggy too. Again, tighten this. Looking at all of these threads, there are there is a, a difference um, from the right hand side of the loom to the left, as I, I said there was in the length of the, the warp threads, which is why it's important that I take care with the tensioning at the start. Um, I possibly could have wound the back beam on just a little bit more, but there's really not that much hanging over the edge of the beam on the left hand side so I, I couldn't have wound on much more so that's why I always like to try and estimate how much I need to weave and then add some on for the wastage at either end where I'm tying on to the yeah that's a bit baggy too where I'm tying on to the end of I'm tying onto the, the front beam. Yeah, that one's definitely baggy. So again, tighten that one. Last one, is this baggy? Yes, it is now that I've tightened up all the ones in the centre. These end ones have gone a little loose. So... Now that I've tightened all those up, I'll go along again and see. Yeah, now these ones that were tight initially at the start need to be tightened because they've loosened off now. Obviously, by taking up the tension of the others, it's slightly loosened those. Now, don't worry that it doesn't become one of these things like the fourth bridge that, you know, as you tighten each one, you know, everything else comes slack and you never ever end. You know, you do find you do get to a time, a point where, actually, yeah, they're pretty much. Um, you've got the tension sorted. Each time you warp, it just becomes easier. The whole understanding of how everything works becomes a little easier. Um, so. You know, the, the whole process speeds up a little. Um, and that, there we are, get that last one done. Tighten that up. And there you go. 
I've walked the loom and it's now exactly six o'clock so that means that it's taken me an hour and three quarters to do that but that's included stopping to take photographs and um, stopping for little bits of recording which I've obviously taken a little bit of time okay so there you go I've walked now the loom <laughs> So, that was the warping up process, and next time I'll talk a little bit about how I start off weaving. Okay, the final section for today is actually combined. It's a combined something I really like and upcoming events. And it's all to do with indie dyes. Now, I know that I've done indie dyes before as something I really like, but it's actually... A lot of what I like about the indie dyes are the yarns themselves, the yarn bases. A lot of them use the same yarn bases. And the yarn bases they used are from blueface.com. Now, blueface.com is quite often at yarn shows selling his undyed yarns. Sometimes there are some dyed yarns there, but the vast majority of the time he's selling undyed yarns. And... People like Baby Long Legs, Easy Knits, Fibre Spates, um, The Knitting Goddess, Natural Dye Studio. They all use his yarn bases. I don't know that they necessarily use his yarn bases exclusively, but they certainly use a lot of his yarn bases. And uh, he's having an open day next weekend. That's Saturday the 25th and Sunday the 26th of August. 2012 from 10 till 4 at Meadow Lee Farm Station Lane Mickle Trafford which isn't that far outside of Chester on the open day there will be Baby Long Legs, Easy Knits Fibre Spates, Laughing Hens The Knitting Goddess, The Natural Dye Studio Nick's Knots and Posh Yarn entrance is £1 with the whole £1 actually being donated to Walton Neurocare Hospital you can buy tickets in advance on the blueface.com website. It's under the special offers um, section and you just have to add it to the cart and then bring along the confirmation with you. I don't know if you can pay on the door. Um, we're due to go away so I don't know if I'm going to be able to pop in. I would desperately like to pop in. I would desperately like to pop in because I do feel like I've missed out with not having gone to... Um, Woolfest or to Fibre East which I'd both planned to but if you are in the northwest, then that might be something to just go and you know tickle your fancy with so that is my something I really like the blue faced base yarns that supply some of my favourite indie dyers and an upcoming event, which is the Blue Faced Open Weekend on Saturday the 25th and Sunday the 26th of August. So, that just about wraps us up. Until next time, take care. Bye. You've been listening to Yarns from the Plain. Episodes and show notes can be found at yarnsfromtheplain.podbean.com. Comments can be left there or at yarnsfromtheplain.blogspot.com 
or you can message me on Ravelry, where I'm Tales from the Plain. You can email me at yarnsfromtheplain at googlemail.com and you can also find me at Twitter, where I tweet as Tales from Plain. Go on, make yourself heard. <laughs>